are in our second week in our series called Choices, and I want to set a scene for you. It's midnight. Your bedtime was hours ago. You're bored, and you're standing in front of an open fridge. You didn't bother turning on any overhead light. Thus, the light shining out of the fridge reminds you the light of heaven. What a glorious sight. (laughs) It entices you to indulge. Your options are soup from last week, a cheese stick, or chocolate cake. I do not know if anyone's ever said this to you, but I've heard this a lot. Nothing good happens after midnight. (laughs) You pull out the cheese stick to nibble on as you make the decision because another dodge comes to mind and seems convenient at such a pivotal moment. Don't shop on an empty stomach. Now, in the moment, it's unclear if the saying is talking about shopping at the store or shopping in your fridge, but it rings true either way. After the cheese stick is consumed, you realize your blunder. It's the moment. You've eaten at midnight, which is a big no-no for you, especially after committing to intermittent fasting earlier that day. (laughs) You might as well just go ahead and dive in deep. So you grab a plate, not the itty-bitty plate, but the big one, and you serve yourself a helping of that cake. And because you have no whipped cream in your fridge, you pile on some ice cream because you always need a topping. (laughs) And you indulge, knowing full well that dairy, dairy rarely sits well with you and that your gut will complain later. It took you a measly 12 hours to fall into temptation, to fail in your commitment to yourself. Can anyone relate? Yeah, me too. What a sordid tale on the kid's book if you give a mouse a cookie. (laughs) So we're in week two of our series called Choices, and something Sam talked about last week that I'm going to continue talking about today is this. The quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. Today we'll be talking about, you guessed it, temptation. The reality is we all face temptation, whether it's the contents of our fridge, gossiping, overindulgence, lust, or fill in the blank with your current struggle. We all face it, but the beauty is, through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to choose our next move. It doesn't have to be to give in to that temptation. You see, temptation is a reality that everyone must confront. It can be a place of victory, or a place of defeat, and the outcome is determined by the decisions you and I make. To put it simply, temptation is an enticement toward evil. Temptation may lead to addiction, but addiction is not solely temptation. The things that we're going to discuss today may help alleviate the burden of addiction, but just as we wouldn't prescribe the same medicine for a bug bite as a snake bite, this is not meant to cure addiction which I think is super important to remember, but it's to give one tools against temptation. I bring this caveat to you because when I was writing the sermon, I struggled with, this isn't what I would do for addiction, and then I had to remember, they're two different things. So my friend says, we go on into the sermon, please remember that as well. So 
We're going to be looking today in First Peter, and before we get into the scripture, um, I want to set the stage for you, a reminder of what happened a few weeks ago, right before Easter, or I'm sorry, during Easter, um, the things that Peter struggled with. So if you remember, uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus turns to Peter and tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And you remember, Peter was like, never, I would never do that. I could never deny my Lord. And the next day, three times he denied Jesus, right? So Peter knew what it was like to give in to temptation. He knew what it was like to resist and then to fall into it. And this is what he had to say on the matter of temptation. So in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, this isn't meant to just be a warning, but to be an encouragement that it's not just us going through that temptation. But the irony is is that Peter was not alert or of a sober mind when he denied Jesus. The opposite is actually true. When Jesus warned him of his denial, Peter denied him that he would ever, ever do such a thing. He either believed in himself a bit too much or didn't believe he would ever be in a situation where he would be questioned. And I believe it was the first one. Because if we saw Peter throughout the rest of the Gospels, the guy was a little full of himself. So, but either way, I think a few things are happening here in the scripture. The first is that Peter warns the church of the danger of making the fact that God is sovereign uh, care, that God's sovereign care an excuse for our own inactivity. Just because loving parents care for us does not mean they will do everything for us and protect us always. The same goes for God. God's sovereignty does not promise us life free from peril. The other is this. We have an adversary. So we're going to be looking at three ways that our adversary is coming for us. So the first one is this. The devil is coming for you. The imagery of a prowling, prowl, that word's hard, prowl, prowling, prowling, Lion immediately takes me to an episode of the Animal Planet where a lion is waiting for its kill. And it's waiting for that, for that deer or whatever it is to drop its guard so it can pounce. The devil is also waiting to pounce. The devil wants to destroy our life through temptation. The use of the word enemy here actually translates to an opponent in a lawsuit. And devil translates to slanderer. So the devil wants you to believe that you have no way to win against temptation, and that he wants everyone else to believe that your greatest sin is who you are, which are both total lies. The way he uses temptation is to take the truth away from what we know to be true. The third one is this. You are not as strong as you think you are. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This is a warning against independent self-confidence concerning one's moral security. It's much easier to believe that the enemies lie than that we need whatever we are tempted by. Peter, he learned this firsthand. But the thing is, 
is that even though we're not strong enough, we are strong enough through Christ. So I believe that there are three things that we need to know, three keys to fighting temptation. And the first one is this. We need to move the line. The question I find myself asking a lot that I'm sure you do as well is how close can I get to the line without failing? So I've got a picture of um, this little boy. You see him? He's so precious. If you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you know that his name is Asher, and we do a lot of adventures together. Behind him is his mom, uh, Trish. She's actually a children's pastor at the Denver campus. Uh, but this is... Um, taken at. Do you guys know where this is taken at? Anybody know? What? Mm -mm. Did someone say it? Yes, Stone Mountain. This is at the bottom of the waterfall at Stone Mountain. Um, And so this was actually a few months ago, so he had just learned how to walk at this point. And uh, I remember she took him out of the carrier, and she put him down towards the water. And he looked around, and he's, you know, not super sure on his feet, and he starts walking towards the water, but before going into it, he looks up at his mom, and he, like in question, is this safe for me to do? His mom nods, and so he continues on. And as he's walking into the water, she's saying to him, be careful, Asher, be careful, don't fall. And the little guy gets a little too full of himself, which I think I would too if I felt that cold mountain water. It'd give me a little zing. Um, but, so he starts walking a little bit faster, and the kid falls face first into the water. And you can see where his feet are. It's not super deep. And before he smashes his face against the rock, she picks him up and she grabs him. Because the thing is, is she was watching him carefully the whole time, letting him explore with careful attention. I see a parallel into Asher's life and our own. See, the beginning of our lives, we have, since the beginning of our lives, we have been going out on our own and testing the proverbial waters, figuring out if this is for us. In the beginning... We had the adults to guide us and pick us up, to set those boundaries and care for us when we went too far. As adults, we don't have those people to help move us away from the painful places, to help guide us to where the boundaries are or even set them up for us. As adults, it's our job to parent ourselves, to set those boundaries and live by them, and to lovingly correct ourselves if we get past that set line. We must pre-decide to put distance between you and the temptation. It's putting your phone to bed before you go to bed. It's watching only G-rated movies. It's putting all the indulgent snack food behind the healthy stuff. This looks very different for every person because our temptations are different, right? It would be easy for us to have everyone set up the same strict rules that, and like live by the same laws and guidelines for everything that we do, but that's legalism. It's the beauty of God is he's created us to be so unique and so different that, you know, he's got a baseline of where we should be. But really, there, after that baseline, there's a lot of things that are a sin for me that might not be a sin for everyone else here. And those are the things the Lord is showing us in this. And so that line, it looks different for every person. And it's up to you and the power of the Holy Spirit to figure out what those lines are. The next one is to magnify the cost. So this starts by an intentional knowing. 
a knowing of who you are, whose you are, and what your purpose is. It's starting at the end of your goal, where you want to be, and working backwards. What would the price be to say yes to this temptation? What does that look like? So um, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, so I had to look up the... um, the plot to make sure that I say this properly and I put it in the right context. But anyone seen Lord of the Rings or read the books? So um, I think Gandalf did the best in the Lord of the Rings explaining this situation. So if you know the plot of Lord of the Rings, you know that the whole movie, the whole series of books are all about getting this ring away from everyone and taking it so it can get destroyed. And so the one that was chosen to be the carrier of the ring was Frodo, right? And so Frodo is uh, carrying the ring around, and he's got a guide with him, Gandalf. And um, listen to this conversation with Frodo in the ring. It says, you are wise and powerful. Will you not take the ring? Frodo's saying this to Gandalf. And Gandalf cries, no, springing to his feet. With that power, I should have the power too great and terrible. And over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed, and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity, pity for weakness, and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe, unused. The wish to yield it would be too great for my strength. I shall have such need of it. Great perils lie before me. He knew that if he took the ring as a powerful guy like he was, that it would lead him to destruction. The next one is plan your escape. So the, the easiest way to say this is that we need, you need to think about, we all need to think about where we are going to do what we're going to do the next time that we're presented with a temptation to decide beforehand what you're going to do about it. Maybe it's redirection like we would do a kid, you know, like, let's look over here at this toy instead. Or maybe it's slapping a rubber band on your wrist. Or maybe it's running away like Joseph did. If you remember the story, Joseph is a servant in Potiphar's household, and Potiphar's wife came to him, and as I would tell kids in children's church, Potiphar's wife wanted to kiss him. And (laughs) Joseph, instead of kissing her, ran away. (laughs) And uh, we know that he left his coat behind, which then she used as uh, evidence against him. But it's better to have a good name than a good coat. What's interesting, this doesn't have to do with the sermon, (laughs) but I thought it was interesting, was um, if you, I was actually reading some commentaries about this story. One of the things I discovered, this is for all the people who think these things are fun too, is that most likely Potiphar knew that he was right and she was wrong. There's a reason that he didn't immediately die or that he got put in the king's prison. It's because he knew the character of Joseph and knew the character of his wife, but to publicly shame his wife like that was like a big no-no. So that's why he was put where he was put, because Potiphar knew that Joseph would have more influence if he was in the king's prison. So... I just thought that was some interesting facts. You're welcome. So, (laughs) friends, we must pre-decide our escape 
and how we will remove ourselves from the temptation. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 13, if you want to look at it later, tells us two hopeful things. It tells us that the, the, the people, the church at Corinth, that their temp- temptations are not unique and that we are not alone in our struggles. And that not only will he limit the trials that we face, but he will also provide a way of escape. So um, in closing, I want to make sure that we each know of our struggles are unique to us and important. But the enemy will use whatever handhold to distract us from the path God has placed us on. Different seasons will bring on different struggles and temptation toward evil. If and when, because we all fall into temptation, we all give into it every once in a while, please remember these words from Eugene Peterson. He was the one that uh, wrote the message. He wrote this in a different book. I think it's called um, A Long Way in the Right Direction. Could be wrong on that name. But he says, if we define the nature of our lives by the mistake of the moment or the defeat of the hour or the boredom of the day, we will define it wrongly. We need roots in the past to give us obedience, ballast, and breadth. We need a vision of the future to give obedience, direction, and goal. And they must be connected. There must be an organic unity between them. The things that happen in our past, the mistakes that we, that we made this morning, the, the things that we struggle with and that we, we give in to, those happen. But when we, we, we couple that with where we know God is taking us, where he wants to, us to go, and we, we, we put those together, it's going to give us the strength to keep on moving forward. It's going to give us what we need to say no the next time. Uh, the reason that I said earlier that temptation and addiction are different is because temptation, it might lead to addiction, but temptation, we still have a power to get out. Addiction takes a little bit more strength. It takes a little bit more support. But I think in both circumstances, I know this to be true, that God always provides a way out. It says in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's wonderful about this is Jesus was saying this to the disciples um, when they're in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's like, the spirit is willing. I know you want to, but the flesh is weak. He was being so kind in this moment, letting them know and letting us know that I know you want to do what is right, but I also know that our flesh is weak. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have the strength to stand against temptation. So as I said at the top of the sermon, even though we all face temptation, the beauty of having the power of the Holy Spirit on our side is that we are able to choose to resist. Okay, so this one was a a very close sermon to write. It's very close for me because this is something I deal with every day, as I think you all do too. But I know that God is there with us always.